Luke, uh, pleased to meet you. Um, you're um, a volunteer diver um, with Sea Shepherd um, UK uh, on their ghost netting program. Can you yeah. just tell us uh, a little bit of what that involves? Um, essentially, um, we, we either get reports of ghost gear or we find it ourselves. Um, and then we'll go out, survey what's there with a view to recover it. Um, essentially, we've, we're all volunteers uh, that have received the joint uh, training with Sea Shepherd and SDI. And um, yeah, effectively, we, once the ghost gear has been reported to us or we find it, um, we set about recovering it, anything from nets to lobster pots, really. Can you, um, for those that don't know, uh, tell us what those nets are and, and what they do? Uh, well, essentially, ghost nets and ghost fishing equipment is uh, lost and abandoned fishing gear. So it could have been lost uh, through a storm or an accident. You know, a, a boat may have driven over the top uh, of a rope and uh, supporting the nets. The nets effectively get lost or the lobster pots get lost. Um, and unfortunately, they, they carry on fishing. Um, so although they're not classed as active nets by the fishermen, they're, they are still continually trapping and killing wildlife. Um, and unfortunately, it's a bit of a vicious circle that once it's caught something and there's something in the net, other things come along to feed on that. And then quite often you'll get a continual cycle of, of things becoming trapped. So, um, yes, it's, 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 it's just there and uh, it doesn't break down. Most nets and lobster pots are designed to last as long as possible. And so until someone recovers them, there's a good chance that they'll carry on doing the job they were designed to do um, continually. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a problem, really. I've come across quite a few um, lost or discarded nets over the years. And the ones that really frighten me are the monofilament ones. But especially if you're in poor vis, you know, you can't see. Yeah, and you've always got that feeling. Even if you, you even if you see one or confront one, uh, it's you never know if it's actually above you as well. You, yeah. You're never quite sure where it is. So even if you think you're going to go up to safety, you can get caught up. Does uh, that has that ever happened to you or or any of the team? Or do you know of divers who have been caught up in the nets? Um, I've been close, um, funnily enough, actually going back to survey a large net we recovered um, during the summer. I went down with a couple of other divers to survey this net, an unbeknown to us, a live net um, of exactly the same type of monofilament net had been placed in a very similar location um, and being a couple of hundred metres long, quite often with a very, very small buoy on the surface, we didn't spot it as we were going in. And we, we swam into it. Um, luckily, we didn't swim into it to the extent that we got tangled. But um, quite a lot of the divers that do dive out of Falmouth or around the UK, um, especially the, the ones that have been doing it for a while, have, they've all got stories of being caught in, uh, in various uh, 
nets, uh, lost line, etc. Because you don't see, as you say, you don't see it, and then all of a sudden it's there. And, um, you know, it's strong stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, I personally, have, as I said, I've been quite lucky, but um, I know of a couple of people that have had to get their knives out and free their friends and whatnot. So it's quite, it's quite a risk. It's quite dangerous. Yeah, I, I think there, there have been quite a few um, fatalities around the world with, with people. And of course, it's one of the things about um, divers who dive on their own. Um, yeah. They're absolutely stuck and, and it's tragic. Have you got any nets that you know about at the moment that are still waiting for you to go and collect or try and get up? Um, we've collected everything we've come across uh, during the course of the summer, bar one. Um, the, the worst nets, without a doubt, are the monofilament nets, the gill nets, the entanglement nets. Um, trawl nets, on the other hand, although still nets and still litter in the sea, um, pose a less of an immediate risk uh, to the wildlife. They usually form a big lump on the bottom or drape over a wreck. Um, and we have got one piece of trawl net uh, that we know of uh, on a reef uh, just uh, south of Falmouth Bay that we would like to, to try and get before Christmas. But at the moment, it's not posing an immediate uh, sort of danger to life, if you like. So it's it's, it's still dangerous, obviously, um, but it's not it's not suspended in mid-water. It's, it's on a reef. It's bundled up in a pile on the floor. Um, and crustaceans and whatnot will quite happily walk all over it. But obviously, we want to get it before it moves uh, or a storm takes it away. So, what happens to the nets when you do retrieve them? Uh, if they're good enough quality uh, and they're um, not overly contaminated, there are recycling schemes available. They're a bit, little bit few and far between. Um, but at the moment, the majority of the nets, in fairness, if they've been down there a very, very long time um, with a hell of a lot of growth on them, uh, despite the fact they're still into barnacles, seaweed, etc., their class is uh, heavily contaminated. And unfortunately, some do go to landfill. There's not really, there's Odyssey Innovation that take nets and I think Ocean Recovery which are, are linked together. Um, they get sent off abroad uh, to be recycled into plastic pellets and then brought back uh, to the UK. Um, one company, Odyssey Innovation, make kayaks. I think there's companies abroad that recycle it into like a, a nylon thread to make clothing. Um, and some well-known brands reuse that. But unfortunately in the UK, we are quite slack on the facilities available. Considering we're an island nation, uh, surrounded by coastal fishing towns and whatnot, we don't really have anything in place nationally uh, to actually deal with the problem of lost uh, and discarded nets once they've been recovered, or nets that fishermen have that are at the end of their life. You know, there's there's far too much of this going into landfill, really. I mean, it's 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 the crucial part of. Um, protecting the marine environment, the ecosystems, especially on reefs. But also, of course, you've got mammals uh, in, in drift nets, you've got whales, dolphins, seals, etc., etc. Um, being such an important and crucial topic, do you find you get enough press coverage to inform the public of, 
of exactly what's going on? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, unfortunately, the um, a good sort of metaphor that someone said to me a couple of years ago, which is always stuck, that if, if people were trying to hunt, for example, rabbits um, or anything like that, and they, they were using nets in the forest, and uh, they lost the net, and the net continued to catch dog walkers, owls, deer, foxes, badgers, cats and dogs, anything that was walking through the forest, immediately the public would be up in arms because it's something they could relate to and they could see. And unfortunately, with ghost fishing equipment, um, I think people are aware of the problem, or some are, but it's very surprising the number of people I speak to, especially those who don't dive or have anything to do with the sea. Um, There's just something that you know, so many people are unaware of this. It's a massive problem. Um, I think the figure, I think it was a UN report was something like 640,000 tonnes of ghost fishing equipment is lost every year uh, in the oceans around the world. And that, that's, you know, that's just a, a growing number. And um, unfortunately, it's, yeah, it's, I, there's, there's charities all over the world now and groups trying to make a difference, but there's no... Uh, what's the word, sort of legislation, there's no, there's no encouragement from the government with regards to labelling, retrieving, recycling, um, and nets are just too easy to replace. So it's, the, the ghost fishing thing is a, in my eyes, is, is quite an ecological problem that many, many people are completely unaware of. It's, yeah, it's, it's quite serious. And nets are not cheap, so um, they do get lost. And um, occasionally they get discarded. I don't know for what reasons. But in the end, it comes down to the fact that it's a commercial product. I mean, it's it's down to us, the general public, who eat fish, that are ultimately responsible for fishing and ghost netting and yeah. the suffering that it causes, because animals do suffer in, in these nets. You got any thoughts on that? Um, only in the sense that, um, I mean, me personally, the more I got into diving and learning about this kind of thing, the more I stayed away from seafood. And mainly because, and this, this, I don't want this to sound sort of too negative, but there's, there's the word sustainable. And a lot of people see a logo on something and it says sustainable. That's only to do with the fish stocks themselves. It's not necessarily the fact that it's a, a species-specific way of catching something. So, unfortunately, the, um, the, the method of catching, although it does say, you know, you might get something that says line caught, et cetera, et cetera, there's, there's nothing on the packaging that would ever indicate to a customer that what they're eating has a severe impact in certain areas. And... Um, you know, some areas, nets, are, um, certain types of nets are not allowed. Uh, we've banned trawling in certain areas around the UK. But with regards to the ongoing impact of certain fishing methods and lost monofilament nets in particular on everything from small fish and cetaceans, um, small fish, sorry, to cetaceans, it's the public are just unaware. It's, you know, you go into a shop and you think, oh, I'll buy the, the MCS certified sustainable product um but unaware of the of everything else that goes on behind the scenes if that makes sense it's quite a 
there's there's a lot more to the fishing industry. I mean, it's 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 a large part of the world's food source, without a doubt. Um, but I think there's some methods uh, a lot a lot more uh, what's the word high risk, if you like, than others. And um, yeah, it'd be good if the if the public were made more aware. Just you know, in general, um, we we wouldn't. I don't. I think if the public were more aware of how things were caught, there would probably be quite a shift in uh, you know consumer demand, if you like. It, it it is an important food source, or it always has been, uh, and a huge industry. But of course, it's shrinking every year due yeah. to pollution, habitat destruction, overfishing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so at some point we do have to entertain um, uh, something else to be eating to actually stop at some point before we're stopped um, doing all this damage to the, to the sea environment. Um, what that is at the moment, I'm unsure. There seems to be uh, a lot of alternatives out there though. Yeah. Tell me, how long have you been diving? How long have you have you been looking uh, at the underwater world? Solidly for four years. Uh, I actually tried diving probably uh, ten years ago. I uh, did a tri dive, and uh, with uh, the partner at the time, she didn't like it very much. In all honesty, she didn't like having her head underwater and breathing for a regulator. Um, so that sort of knocked that on the head, and then. Uh, probably five years ago, I went uh, went on holiday, like we all do sometimes, and nice hot country, and uh, seeing people getting in the sea, and I thought, well, I'd, I'd give that another go. Uh, it looked far more interesting than trying it in a swimming pool in Hampshire. And, um, yeah, I went back out a couple of months later, um, did uh, my open water, as so many people start off with, and then I just caught the bug. Uh, by the end of that year, I'd been back to the same place three times, I think, um, to do more and more diving. And then the following year, got into UK diving. And to be honest, I, I prefer, I mean, I love the warm water. There's no denying that when you're on holiday and it's late 20s and you get out and the sun's glowing every day, um, you know, it's comfortable. But UK diving is amazing. And we've got so much life under the water. Um, I mean, just this weekend, just gone, I took a couple of days off at the end of last week, managed to get nine dives in over the course of the weekend, all to different sites out of Falmouth Bay. And it was great. I, I, yeah, I'm well and truly hooked. It seems to be a, a little bit of an addiction now, to be honest. Well, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, all power to you. Four years, and now you're pulling up or helping to pull up uh, ghost nets. I mean, that's... It's quite an achievement, experience-wise. You know, you've yes. come a long way in a relatively short time. Uh, fantastic. Um, if people do find, uh, if divers find netting uh, that they're unsure about, what's the best thing for them to do? Um, try not to tackle it on your own. Uh, if, I mean, if you find a, a length of line and some hooks on the end and you have a a mesh bag with you, uh, which is always a good thing to take on a dive as well, by the way. If, if, you are a, if you are a regular diver, you can't beat a mesh bag, even if it's just the litter. Um, or you might find some treasure, you know, you, you never know. But um, if you find a net or pots or anything, or even large discarded litter items uh, that aren't safe to recover on your own, 
then uh, Sea Shepherd do have a reporting page on their website. Uh, if you Google uh, Sea Shepherd Ghost Net or Sea Shepherd UK Ghost Net reporting, there's a form you can fill out. They will um, they will look at it depending on where in the country it is. Uh, it'll either be ourselves that will go and get it uh, directly, um, or in the far reaches of the country, um, as quite often is the case in Cornwall. Uh, we'll work with other charities and groups uh, to you know make it the most efficient and speediest uh, recovery so we can get out of the water as soon as possible to, uh, to remove the threat to uh, marine life. Great. Um, Luke, thank you very much. Uh, great talking to you. Um, doing a fantastic job. Within your your area team, how many of you are there? How many people are there doing the same as you? Um, throughout the UK, I think Sea Shepherd now probably have 20 trained up divers um there or thereabouts uh we have a couple of uh boats in the midlands um one in scotland uh, hence why um the two recoveries or the two larger recoveries we did this summer in cornwall we did in conjunction with a local uh, organization fathoms free who have their own rib and enabled us to to get there quickly um, which is especially important with the current situation with coronavirus uh, because obviously there are certain areas of the country, unfortunately, at the moment, that are rather restricted on their movements, etc. So we're dotted all over the UK, um, and there's always someone somewhere that will be able to get there to uh, to retrieve to retrieve the ghost gear. So. Great, Luke. Again, thank you very much. Um, Good luck in the future. I hope you're out of work at some point with the netting. Um, but I, uh, I kind of think it may go on for a very long time yet. Um, once again, thank you. And um, I hope to meet you uh, at some point. Yes, no, definitely. Thank you. It's been great. Cheers now. Bye. Cheers.